All right, so this morning, uh, last week uh, we looked at uh, Exodus 11, which was um, the, uh, the discussion about uh, the last plague that's coming. And today we're going to, uh, to look at uh, uh, the preparation for, for that and, and um, uh, what we call the Passover. I think these next uh, few weeks will probably be like if you went to a museum and saw a sculpture, uh, chances are it would be roped off with a circle of ropes so that you could walk around and look at it from a lot of different angles. I I think that it's probably going to be the best way to to look at uh, this next chapter or two. Um, So you could kind of consider what we're going to do today as kind of a survey um, and a good overview. Um, and then, as is, you know, this is kind of tag team approach. Um, and then I'll let Dad tell you what it really means. Uh, <coughs> so, uh, so Exodus 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. So you get the idea from the very, from the very start that uh, this is a little different because everything else, uh, for the most part, I think, has been uh, instruction um, or pronouncements to Pharaoh, uh, but now uh, there's some some special instruction, and you'll see as we go through that there are basically two big speeches. Uh, there's a message from God to Moses, and that's these first few verses indicate that. Then on down, you're going to hear the message from Moses to the elders, and there's some um, there's some repetition there. Of course, as you would expect, uh, Moses heard it from God, and then he's going to explain it to the elders. There is a, a slight difference in detail, but or additional detail between the, the two. But um, uh, just as you're organizing your thinking as we go through the chapters, when you hear, uh, didn't we just read that? Well, that's, that's a different messenger. So we have God to Moses, and then Moses to the elders. Um, and then also, while you're thinking about just organizing how you're going to uh, approach this, uh, there are a couple of um, uh, purposes, uh, probably more than a few, but uh, at least a, a few to, to identify. Uh, one purpose of this whole section is this is the final plague. This is the final push that's going to bring... Uh, Pharaoh's hardened heart to the ultimate breaking point so that he will allow the people of Israel to leave. So that's, that's huge. The other point, though, is that, and you'll see multiple references to this throughout the section, um, this is a remembrance event forever. Uh, elements of this event echo throughout the entire Bible throughout all the work that Jesus did for us and will continue to echo into eternity. So 
to say this is kind of a big deal is an understatement. And that is why I think it is going to be important for us to, to look at this a lot. Um, and um, when you think about, uh, is this what we're going to talk about? Is, is this the biggest event in Exodus? Probably so. Is this the biggest event in the Old Testament? Say for creation, I would say probably so. Um, this foreshadows everything that the New Testament is about. Uh, so we need to understand this. Um, so two speeches, at least two purposes as you're thinking about this. Now, I'll mention this just, I guess, for completeness. Um, several of the commentators that I read uh, indicated that, and, and, and I, couldn't find, I couldn't find the, um, the evidence that led them to this conclusion, but from a number of conservative evangelical commentators, who are the folks that we generally read, um, they hint that at some evidence, which again must be over my head, um, that some of the elements in the Passover may have been familiar to the Israelites already. Uh, the concept of giving sacrifices may have already been there in their pre-Yahweh days. Um, shepherds may have had uh, sacrificial rituals and applied blood to protect the flock or to ward off evil spirits or, you know, there apparently is, again, this evidence that I haven't been able to verify that leads them to think that God is introducing a new ordinance, a new remembrance event, but is doing it in such a way that there are terms and practices that would be familiar to them. The analogy that, that one uh, author used, and that was uh, our celebrations of Christmas, which have sometimes been criticized as having some roots in pagan culture, but we have kind of sanctified them uh, for our Christmas celebrations. Um, this might be analogous to that. So I just mentioned that for completeness because that was something that there was general agreement on as I did my reading, but was kind of a new concept to me. So I'm still trying to get my head around that one. So back to our text. These first few verses, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. So a couple comments about um, the calendar. Uh, even today, uh, what we would call the, the Jewish calendar, I'm not sure if that's politically correct, but I, I don't think it's incorrect. Um, this month the, that they're referring to, um, Nisan is, is one name for it, is considered the first month. But they celebrate New Year's Day later in the year. So just if you, which is Rosh Hashanah, it it's, would be New Year's Day, but the first month is the month of Passover as decreed by God. So I, they said, uh, 
it's it's really interesting if you ever read um, like uh, uh, the sites that say uh, a recent convert to Judaism would go to, uh, like uh, what's called like Jewish 101 or something like that. Um, how they explain these things is always kind of interesting, but they say, well, it's kind of like, you know, we, have, we celebrate New Year's Day, but then we also kind of celebrate the start of a new school year in the fall. Or some businesses might have their fiscal year that starts at a different time of the calendar year. So in any event, the first month of the Jewish calendar is, as God decreed it, is this month, this Nisan, that, that starts with um, Passover, but their Jewish New Year is uh, later in the year, actually in September, uh, somewhere around there. It's, it might be October. It varies. That's the other thing, too. The Jewish year is based on the moon. Um, and uh, we kind of have a, you know, we use a, a day, a solar cycle, uh, but they use the moon. So um, every so often uh, they would have to have 13 months instead of 12, kind of a leap year sort of thing. And they've kind of evened it out over the centuries, um, but that's what does seem to fluctuate some. All right. Out of the minutiae here. So this is an interesting concept. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb, according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if a household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Uh, this, this phrasing here, all the congregation of Israel, this whole community of Israel, this is the first time in the Bible that uh, the reference is to the entire nation of Israel. Uh, so this instruction is going out to the entire nation. And then the general concept is that uh, there's going to be a lamb, and it says, according to what, what each can eat, um, this is going to be a gathering, right? Now we'll see later on. I, I start to picture some of this stuff. The concept is, if your household, right, so if you were maybe a grandparent, gather your kids and their kids and your, your little clan, you know, picture whoever's with you for your big Thanksgiving event or your big Christmas event. Um, if that crew is enough to eat a lamb, then you're, you're set. But if that's not enough to eat an entire lamb, then you need to get together with neighbors and and so forth to make it where it kind of works out, okay? Now, when you picture, I know we're kind of jumping ahead here, but when you picture preparing a lamb to be eaten, what are you picturing? A whole lamb. A whole lamb, okay. And how, how big do you picture it? Have you ever thought about it? Have you ever been to a pig picking? <laughs> All right. So how big is a pig at a pig picking? Like that, right? About this long, stretched out. You're probably looking at what? Who's, co who's actually cooked one? What do they weigh, about 40 pounds? You're the pro. So sometimes, 75 pounds. So we'll find out later that this is a one-year-old male lamb. 
that's going to be cooked with everything on it except the skin. Right? Skinned, roasted, not gutted. Right? Skin and roasted. That lamb weighs about 120 pounds, 130 pounds. That's a big piece of meat. So you're going to have a big crew, right? Um, I don't even know if I know enough people to, I mean, that would feed more than us in this room, right? Wouldn't it, John? Right? I don't know how much a pig picking, but pick, it'd almost be twice that. We used to, when we had it out in the house part, we would have the, the uh, whole church was out there. One pig. So that just kind of changed my thinking. I've always pictured this intimate little lamb. gathering, right? And a lamb, which now that I'm thinking about it, I'm picturing something the size of a big rabbit. Uh, <laughs> you know, I was, you know, and it also means, you know, they're going to, I mean, you can't talk about the Passover without talking about some blood. So they're going to drain the blood, and that blood is going to be put on. So they would have had a basin, and probably each head of the household would have had to go to their house, perhaps. Or I'm not exactly sure how this works, or maybe I, I can't imagine that there would be a, a home big enough for all of them to be in. But the logistics get a little crazy to think about. And I know we're doing some speculation here, but when you, when you think about the practicalities of how this all happened, it, uh, I started, it's, it just... Made me start thinking. Anyway, here we go. We're in verse 5, let's say, of chapter 12. Calling this a survey may have been ambitious, Daddy. I'm not going to get very far. Um, verse 5. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. So this is all happening on the 10th day. So you select your lamb. It's with you for four days. I've heard some people talk about this concept of you're going to slaughter this lamb that's been hanging out with your family for four days. And the same way that Jesus was killed having been with in and amongst the people in any event it shall kill the lambs at twilight now and again I don't want to beat this in the ground too much but I think if we're going to place ourselves in this event and try to extract everything out of it it's fair to think about how we would do this so we're going to find out that the instruction was you're going to eat in a hurry because I want you ready to go. Cloak on, cinched up, the staff in your hand. That, okay? This is like you're on your way to a ball game and you're swinging through drive through and you're throwing it down because you're late for something. Right? I'm, maybe I'm the only one that's done that. Um, so... <laughs> So you've got this 120-pound carcass that you're roasting over a pit. How long is that going to take? Four, six, eight hours? It takes about eight hours at least. 
right? They're killing it at twilight. It's kind of hard to put all this together, right? So is it like, I, so they haven't, if we're going to hear about the angel of death that comes at midnight, they haven't even eaten by the time the angel has gone over. I, I don't, there's some, there's some people that say from the twilight that it was slaughtered until the angel of death may have been one full day with the way they count a day, the midnight of the following day. Um, and that kind of makes a little more sense to me when you think about having to cook this animal for a long time. Um, so any, again, it just kind of changes how I picture this. I have a question. Yes. Why, and why does it say you may take it from the sheep or from the goats when we're talking about lamb? I mean, why, why a goat? I mean... Uh, I guess it's, I don't know, it's what they had available. It says sheep and goats. You think it would be the economic part, where maybe your sheep were finding it expensive, and it could be that they couldn't afford them. Yeah, I, um, I don't know. Uh, Merritt says, can a, can a lamb be called, uh, can a, the, I mean, a goat's typically called a kid, a baby goat, right? But could it be called a lamb? The Bible says it. It, it, it is. I kind of went online to see the dictionaries to still consider that, and they didn't. Kind of based on its age more than But yeah, it, it was, it said you could, sheep or goats, so they didn't. Now, you know, later for sacrifices, they talk, um, you know, we know, we know the story of the scapegoat, right? So goats were used in sacrifices, cows were used in um, sacrifices, um, sheep, of course. Um, so I'm not sure if there is a significance, um, but uh, it is a good question. So I'll give a hearty I don't know to that one. Uh, Merritt always asks me, do you tell your patients I don't know? And I'm like, oh yeah, <laughs> all the time. Uh, you, you can only make stuff up for a, a little while. Uh, did I say that out loud? Um, all right. Let's see. Uh, right, here we go. Uh, verse 7. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the do two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. Okay. So I answer my own question. Multiple houses. Right? Thank you, God's word. Verse 8. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Now we're going to hear more about this whole unleavened bread uh, further down, so I'll uh, skip over that part. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts. Right? So that's where I got the thing about the full size. Its head, its legs, and its inner parts. I know when America cooks a turkey and stuffs it, it takes a lot longer to cook it than if you don't stuff it. So these uh, lambs would be stuffed, as, as you might say. Um, all right, here we go. Verse 11. Oh, I'm sorry, verse 10. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. So obviously there are going to be some inedible parts, right? 
but whatever, and that's why it's, they're wanting to try to match up the number of people with the amount of meat available, but whatever's left, until the morning you shall burn. Verse 11, I re referred to this, in this manner shall you eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So now we have Moses describing, I'm sorry, God describing to Moses how this is going to happen because Moses has already been told, as we said before, a couple times, firstborn's going to die. Verse 12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. I think it's interesting when it says the blood shall be a sign for you. Um, it's an, I've always thought about it being a sign for God or God's angel. But he says here, a sign for you. I think that's interesting. Um, it means both, of course, I, I assume. Verse 14, and now we see this transition into... The remembrance part. A couple things, though, about the blood and the meal. You remember the verse from Hebrews, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So we've talked about, you know, this lamb, but it wasn't the life of the lamb that was going to save them. It was the death of the lamb and the lamb's blood that was going to save them. Um, the blood had to be applied to those households. You know, just Jesus' blood has to be applied to us. Um, this bitter herbs, uh, some people have talked about that. I think as it's as it is explained. Um, nowadays that that is to remind the Israelites of the bitterness of slavery. Some people have said to remind people about the, the bitterness of sin. Um, certainly the leaven has a lot to do with the presence of sin. Hmm. This actually might be a good stopping point um, but I want to talk about a couple things by way of application. Um, probably every one of us has prayed for deliverance in some way. From some event, from some something bad. When we pray for that, 
do our actions reflect the faith that God's going to answer that? The Israelites had cried out to God, deliver us. We talked about this waiting, but now it's close, and they've been given these instructions, which they were to follow out to a T. They prepared for God to do what he said he was going to do. They're dressed and ready to walk out. It just occurred to me, when we pray, does our behavior change in anticipation of God answering that the way that the Israelites' behavior changed in anticipation of answering that? I was flipping channels the other day, and a movie, which I've seen pieces of a, a few times, but I, I wound up watching all of it on TV. It's the one, A Few Good Men. It's about 20 years old with Tom Cruise, Jack Nicholson. And uh, the gist of the deal is that there was this private who uh, was killed under his command and who did it. And one of the key points in the prosecution's case was... Um, or rather in the defense case, rather, was here was a kid who purportedly was told he was going to leave Guantanamo, but there was no evidence that he was preparing to leave. He hadn't packed up anything. His clothes were still hanging perfectly. The assumption was he didn't think he was leaving. So when I pray for God to get me out of something, or deliver me from something, if my behavior hasn't changed based on that prayer, then I'm not sure my faith is really reflecting what I've been praying for. Um, so, here we have the Israelites were told what to do. Cinch it up, put your shoes on, get your staff ready, because it's happening. And I think that was just a message to me as I was reading this lesson. Um, I should probably behave in such a way that it, if nothing else, prepares me for God to answer. I'm not sure I've ever, you know, I've just got to pray to God get me out of whatever. I'm not, I'm not sure I've even ever thought, okay, well, assuming he does, what should I be doing, Right? <laughs> So, I don't know. Maybe you guys have not struggled with that. Um, we could talk a lot about the lamb. I know Dad's going to talk about this. But just reflect on this phrase over the next week. When Abraham took Isaac up on the mountain, this is Genesis 22, and Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together, and Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. He said, Here I am, son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb? That question, where is the lamb, is in some ways, the essential question that still echoes down. Where's the lamb? Many people have their own idea of what their rescue needs to be, but we know it's all 
about the lamb. Um, or Abraham must have had the faith because when he left the guy the mountain, he said, I will be back. We will be back. We yeah, I mean, his, his answer was good. It was basically, God will provide, right? Yeah. Uh, which, of course, but that, that concept, where, where is the lamb? Uh, I guess it's, it's we, we just need to quit. Um, questions, comments? I think, uh, you know, you talk about when you pray, you know, that you be prepared, you prepare yourself to, to do what you're praying for and have faith that's going to happen. Well, in this case, the people had, had uh, faith in two different directions. First, they had to have faith in God, but they also had to have faith in Moses that he was getting the message from Yep. Anything else? You guys are good. I had one, uh, you know, I guess no religion, you know, religion is some framework that I guess directs your faith. Um, We're going to hear about unleavened bread probably next week. Um, and the concept is to get away, get, get rid of all the, the leavening, because the that takes time to do your bread and everything. But apparently part of the modern-day um, Jewish uh, celebration is uh, these different blessings, one of which is the blessing over the wine. So I started thinking, well, don't think he used to make wine? Um, so there's a nice little paragraph <laughs> explaining why it's, it's fine for the yeast for the wine, uh, but not for the bread. So I thought that was uh, kind of cute. Um, that probably uh, pales in comparison to the ra- rationalizations I come up with. Uh, but uh, again, I thought that was funny. All right, let's close. Father, thank you for your word, for the pictures that it brings to us, for the, the mystery that we see in what all happened and how it all happened. and and. Lord, I, I feel like we've just, we've just gotten a glimpse of this amazing story, of this just, just a taste of, of, of what you're going to teach us in this section. But we know enough to thank you for Jesus, our Lamb, uh, who died for us, uh, paved a way so that we could be part of this family. And we thank you for that. In his name I pray. Amen. Thanks, everybody.